it's really about establishing what the output needs to be, what are your goals as a team, and then understanding what each person needs to be able to meet those. I think if you're working towards a goal for each individual person, then that goal over time compounds to the overall goals of the department. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. Companies today face a global war for talent, and high-skill talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top freelancers to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Stetler. My guest today is my colleague, Stephanie Corrier, Head of Projects at TopTal. Through this role, she leads a team of delivery managers that curate and manage entire teams of TopTal talent around the world to deliver successful client solutions. Stephanie, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Eric. It's great to be here. Tell us a bit about yourself to begin before I start bombarding you with my questions. Absolutely. So I'm currently in the role of head of projects at TopTel. As you mentioned, sort of managing a team of delivery managers. We've got six people on the team right now, spanning hundreds of client projects around the world. Essentially, what we do is is work with clients to build whatever they want built, right? With with completely remote teams. So leveraging that top 3% of talent worldwide, making sure that we have the right solutions for talent and, and the clients and working with them to make sure that, yeah, their end goals are a success. Wonderful. And as the world, of course, switches to remote work on an unprecedented scale and with unprecedented speed due to the current situation with COVID-19, I was thinking to myself, whose voice do we all really need to hear right now? And you, of course, instantly came to mind because you have been building, you have been guiding project and product managers to build these teams around the world, as you said. So I know this was an urgent request on my end, and I know that you must be dealing with so much on your end right now as well. So again, just from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for for taking the time on this. There are so many topics I want to discuss with you, but I can't resist beginning with a few interesting things that I noticed we have in common. So the first one is our passions for both foreign languages and music, the arts. You did study business, but you also earned a bachelor's of music for saxophone performance and also studied Spanish language and Spanish literature. So on my end, a lot of what also led me to working in global talent was when I was in New York, helping to build a what I think was the first Latin symphonic orchestra in New York. And that inspired me to think more globally with my own career. And obviously, it just opened my eyes to the scale and sophistication of the neighbors to the United States. Tell me a bit about your journey in that regard. What role does foreign language and, and music and literature play in your life? How does that affect how you think when you're building teams for high technology products? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people that I've worked with previously will tell you that it gives me some ability to do some out-of-the-box thinking. I don't come with a traditional background to my role, certainly. And I think everything is a a type of language in, in this field, right? Between coding and an actual literal Spanish language or the language of music through different compositions and the sounds that the instruments make. To a certain extent, it's one and the same. But I think the the tie here is that it's all... It's all hard work, right? Music is is a lot of perseverance. It's knowing that, you know, as hard as you're working, there's always somebody who's practicing more and working harder. But it, I think that love of music overall has, you know, pushed me to 
to where I am today. And then there's a global component of it, right? Music is everywhere. Universal language, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So for a very long time, I've traveled just around the world trying to seek out different types of music. I actually take a a trip every year with my mother to seek out different types of performances. And, And we've been doing this for about the last five or six years now. But, you know, you meet all different types of people along the way. And certainly being able to communicate with them in any capacity, whether that be literal communication with language or or in music or through work or whatever that may be, it brings everybody together. I couldn't agree more. I feel like there's an entire dimension, not just to my knowledge, but just how I view the world now in any situation that I owe to all the musicians that I've been close with in my own life. And watching these people at work is such a fascinating case study on creativity and discipline. Well, under other circumstances, I'd say grab your saxophone, I'll grab my bamboo flute and we'll knock people's socks off here. But I guess we should probably stick to the script, given, you know, (laughs) given the other things we need to discuss. The other thing that we have in common that really struck me is, is that national treasure referred to as the state of Vermont. So I know you currently make your home there. And I have a tremendous amount of family there as well. And it's, I don't think it's even proper to say it's my second home because it actually is the place that has been the most constant in my life across many places I've lived in. So the reason I wanted to ask you about this was what I love about remote work is it allows people to live where they truly want to live. And I think that really helps the communities outside of the major financial centers, such as New York and Boston and London, because they get to have people like you living there. And there must be just so many benefits to the community of having you there and everything. So tell us a bit about why you chose to make your home in Vermont instead of a place like New York and how remote work facilitates that for you. So I actually started my career in Chicago and worked there for a few years before moving to New York City and working from there and then over to Vermont where I've been for almost seven years now. I had some family in Vermont. My goal was always to you know, potentially retire up here. But as you said, remote work makes yeah. you know living here a little bit yeah. earlier. Exactly. <laughs> why wait? It's a great place to be. Certainly not a typical place to live in, when you're working in the, the tech sector. But if you can, why not? So yeah, for me, I think the ability to work remotely has obviously led to, to me being where I am. It's a worry just because there's not extensive remote work yet <laughs> all over the world that, you know, what happens if I, if I need an, another job or something like that? Where am I going to go? Do I have to drop everything and move to a major city, like you said? And I think times are changing. We've seen right now, right? Everybody forced to work remotely or work from home has driven that change, I think, you know, worldwide. But I think after this is all over, maybe we start seeing that difference really stay and more people can come to Vermont, right? And live, live the dream life, you know, skiing on the weekends or whatever and, and making sure that that quality of life and, and that quality of living is, goes hand in hand with your work. Let's hope. I have the exact same situation splitting my time with South America where I'm sitting right now. And it simply would not be possible if, if it weren't for remote work. So I know so many people, and it makes me sad, who, who, who would love to live the way you and I do. So basically where we want to, regardless of what our work happens to be. But it just hasn't been available to them yet because they, they're not in the world of remote work at all. And their companies just don't allow it yet. And so let's, as you said, let's hope that one silver lining of this crisis is it, it does end up opening the door to that kind of living for more people around the world.
So tell us then about your journey to TopTal itself. So I know you worked in IT consulting with some startups. Tell us what led you to your current role at TopTal and, and why. That's a journey, really, I think, all over the place <laughs> through a couple of different I had jobs. A feeling, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I was graduating with the, the degrees we spoke about, right? Saxophone performance and, and Spanish language and literature. And my mother said to me, you know, what do you want to do with your life? And I had no idea. And I had switched majors probably six, t- six times before I landed on those. But I, I went up to one of the job fairs and I found a company called ThoughtWorks and they sold me. I mean, I, I applied, I, I got a job right out of college and I was really fortunate, especially at that time when nobody was getting hired <laughs> to do anything. Mm-hmm. But I latched on there. I thought, you know, consulting would be the right gig for me, really. I knew that we, I would be interacting with all different types of companies, having to learn really fast, right? And speak the languages literally of all different types of industries from healthcare to finance to entertainment and coming up with creative solutions, right? Which I think the creative aspect was something yep. that really, really drove me. And I started, you know, very much from the bottom there. Uh, I didn't have enough experience with my background to really jump into business analysis or project management or anything like that. So I started working in in recruiting actually for the first few months until they sent me to India to do training for a while there and really get my chops about software development lifecycle, agile methodology, project management, business analysis, quality analysis, all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was in India for a while and then, yes, working as a consultant for almost three years with ThoughtWorks in all different sorts of industries and, and all around the U.S. And then from there, I decided to slow things down a little bit and joined a smaller company in Vermont. I you know, was an e-commerce grocery business. I spent a few years there. And actually, that took me traveling worldwide again. I became one of the program managers for their South American constituency and oh. started working down in Santiago, Chile for a while back and forth between there and Vermont and led that until I switched over to a, a different uh, smaller company here for automobile websites, et cetera. And then from, from there, got recruited to, to join over at TopTal and, and never looked back. I mean, I started as a delivery manager and, and now, yes, I'm the head of, head of projects role um, leading the team of delivery managers. Wow. That is quite a journey. And all over the place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I imagine I'm not going to ask you to comment on a particular culture when it comes to <laughs> to work and remote work. But given your previous experience with language, literature, music, tell us how do you when you come to a new place, like when you got sent to India, for example, or, or to South America, how do you go about assessing the things you need to know about that particular culture to make it function properly with the rest of the team that is obviously all across the world. So like, tell us about your process when you go about that, because obviously that's central to building and managing remote teams that are by definition, almost always international. The first piece is to understand all the people that you're going to work with to the best of your ability. Number one, understand your client, right? Not just who they are and what they do, but what their goals are and what they're looking to get out of the partnership and some success criteria around that, right? So that you can make sure that you're working towards that throughout the entirety of the project. And on the flip side, that you're, you understand your team, right? What are they trying to get out of the partnership, right? What are they trying to get out of this product? It's most of the time, not just a paycheck, <laughs> although that helps, but you know, it's gaining knowledge in a certain field or industry. It's understanding how to work in a team, trying to balance work hours around general life requirements and things like that. So I think that's step one You know, to, to any successful remote team is you can't just treat the people who are not right in front of you face-to-face as 
less important or less productive or any of that. It's understanding the role that every single person on your team plays to, to the goals that you're trying to, to meet. It's all about empathy in so many ways, isn't it? And I imagine your previous focus on literature helped with that tremendously because literature is all about reading a story from someone else's point of view or experiencing something from someone else's point of view. So it, above all, it fosters empathy. And it's kind of scary how many otherwise brilliant business leaders sometimes are a little lacking in that category. I think that the people you have worked with and managed must have benefited so much from the fact that you, by nature, are someone who, who loves putting yourself in someone else's shoes, basically. I appreciate the compliment. I think it's the key to any success, right? If you can't put yourself in somebody else's shoes, I, I don't think that you can achieve the level of success that you want to because you're not the one driving that success, right? It's the team behind you. If you can't support them the way they need to be supported, then you'll fail every time. Absolutely. So throughout all of this, you obviously worked around the world. Had you worked remotely before prior to joining TopTal, meaning there was no particular office that you would show up at? You were able to work from, from anywhere? I think the way most people have it right now, where you work from home a couple of days a week, maybe, but you always okay. had that office to go to. So it was not you know, part of my daily routine where I have to you know, form a routine around remote work with nowhere else to, to be, so to say. And on that note, I'd love to hear what the head of projects at TopTel, what her own preferred practices for when she works remotely are. Well, my husband will tell you that I've improved with this, but I'm not great. <laughs> but the the key here, I think, is work-life balance, right? You yeah. have to be able to establish some boundaries. And that's way harder with remote work. I think a lot of companies or, or individuals, you know, when you say that you work remotely, they think, oh, well, what, what do you do? Like, stay home and sit there and yeah. stare at a screen or, you know, go grocery shopping in the afternoon or wh whatever. And they assume a lack of productivity. But I think it's exactly the opposite. For me... I make sure that I'm up you know, early in the morning, get the workout done as much as I can, get that out of the way, and then have some downtime um, in front of the computer before all the craziness starts with, with meetings and people pinging and, and things like that. Setting aside your own time with just some sort of peace and quiet before you're officially online to work through things that need a bit more thought. And then, you know, from then on, it's, it's chaos, right? Because you've got people pinging you, making sure that you're answering things. You've got meetings that you're going to and from. And I think the key at the end of the day is to say, whatever time that may be that works for the individual, you're saying, okay, this is, this is my sign-off time. This is when I need to be with my family, or this is when yeah. I need some time for mental health and, and uh, self-care and all of that kind of stuff. And I think that's, that's really another area where if you if you can't establish those boundaries, you're likely to burn out fast, right? Because it's not you go to the you have your commute time, then you get sit in the office, and then everybody leaves, and then you have another commute, and then you have you know home time. It, it's not like that at all. Yeah, I feel like that challenge is the other side of the coin of the key benefit of remote work, which is you can work mostly. I mean, obviously not from anywhere or at any time, but you know, you, a lot of freedom in that regard. But Pretty the flip close. side is you need to know how to unplug. You can yeah. basically grab your computer and get some important things done. I'm sure you're the same. I, I love the work that I do with our clients yeah. from, from TopTel. It's such fascinating people building such fascinating products. So it's not that I don't enjoy doing it. So that boundary that you mentioned in terms of making sure that you are able to unplug, I think is such an important lesson. And I think that it's just about probably like learning an instrument, right? It's just discipline. It's just trying new yeah. things and finding your rhythm. And that's the word I actually use, leaving music aside, is you got to find your rhythm. For example, my own is the, the morning hours are when I can make my biggest breakthroughs if it's exactly. a, an analytical challenge. And then the middle of the day is 
little more task oriented. Then there's actually a second wave in the late afternoon where I'm less, you know, I'm a little more mellow and focused. And so the point is everyone has their own rhythm, of course, but the point is learn your rhythm. Self-awareness, right? Emotional intelligence and understanding what works for you. And then, you know, as a leader, right, what works for your team. And it's going to be different for everybody. Since you know that the magnitude of the difference in output you can get from someone based on harnessing their, their natural rhythm or not, when you're already dealing with different time zones, different everything, when you're building a virtual team and managing it, how do you recommend that, that project managers go about also taking this other dimension of time into account, which is many of your people just operate on fundamentally different sleep rhythms, mm-hmm. productivity rhythms, everything. And if you want the best, it's not a favor to them. Obviously, like you said, you should be empathetic. But if you want their best output, you need to take that into account as well. So how do you bring that into, into project management as well? It's output and deliverables based, right? Um, with a team that's that's global, right? Every, some people are working while we're sleeping and others, yeah. the rest of the team is sleeping and some are, you know, sleeping when others are working. So you can establish set hours, right? You can say, all right, the normal hours are eight to six or, or whatever they may be. But there's no way that somebody's sitting down and being productive from eight o'clock in the morning to six o'clock at night with only an hour break at some, at some point, right? So yeah. it's really about establishing what the output needs to be what are your goals as a team? And then understanding what each person needs to be able to meet those. So if you have six people on your team and you know one person's really strong at this, another person's really strong at that, you center those goals around those individual components mm-hmm. and then establish action items to get there on a weekly basis. So if an action item is missed, you know that there's something that's lagging, right? Or there's an issue, a personal issue at home or, or whatever, you can address those. But I think if you're working towards a goal for each individual person, then that goal over time compounds to the overall goals of the department. Yeah. One of the many things I love about remote work, just philosophically also as an economist, is it's all about the results. It's not just about this occasionally procrustean exercise of just, you know, the the, the inputs and making sure everything looks like it's productive in terms of a standard industrial revolution-inspired paradigm of nine to five at the office. And so I think that, yeah, just being output driven. You hit upon a a question that I always, I wouldn't say struggle with, but uh, that I think about a lot in terms of you, you mentioned people's roles and how everyone has, you know, their own, their own critical strengths. A lot of our clients tend to be startups. And prior to joining TopTel, I, I was a venture capitalist. And one critical balance that startups often deal with is obviously everyone is there for a reason. They have their superpower. They're there to deliver the back end or the UX or or the algorithms. But they also, and you're an example with your profile, they also have all these other fascinating things about their profile and about their skills. And it's to the client's benefit, obviously, that they get as much as this person can offer because building a product is such a holistic exercise. And so how do you meet that balance, especially with a, a global remote team or a mix or blended team where, where people are so critical that everyone row in the same direction. How do you balance the key roles that people have and the key output that's expected with making sure that if there's a critical contribution they can give that might be slightly outside their defined role, that you still capture that value? Yeah, I think it's about communication and transparency. I think it goes back to what we were talking about of understanding the overall goals of the project, right? So if you're working on a project and you're building an app or something like that, or you're you're really building a company to a certain extent a lot of the time, especially with startups, right? That's their core purpose of their company or, or, or one of the main revenue drivers for that company. So you're 
at least with the top child projects department and, and our team and the teams that we work with, what we're doing is helping build a solution. Even if you're brought in as the delivery manager, you know, and your job is to make sure that we have technical excellence across the team, everyone's doing their job, right? Or if you're brought in as a developer on the engagement and you know that you're responsible for X portion of the code or feature set, the goal is the same. It's it's really to make the the client's product a success because that's what yeah. keeps the business going, right? If we don't have a successful product, then we don't have a business, right? Because that's one after another where we're not delivering. So what yeah. we thrive on is the success of the client products overall. So anywhere that anyone can lend a, a helping hand, they should. And I think it goes back to sort of the times that we live in right now. If a company's they're used to making cars instead of ventilators, then if time comes, you have to be innovative yeah. and flexible and, and do whatever you can to help the overall vision and help the outcome be a success. I think that brings us to the key. So I, I want to now talk to you as if I were a client that were that was approaching you. So in terms of your current role with TopTel, if I came to you and I said, so Stephanie, I'm ready to augment my team with with a TopTel team as well, or I'm looking to even build an entire team from scratch with you. Walk me through this process. What would you say to me then in terms of, okay, these are the things you need to be aware of in terms of the key do's and do nots. What would you say to me if I were approaching you? Because so many of our listeners, they've probably already been in the world of remote work, but the scale that they now need to implement it has obviously rapidly changed. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to some of the things that we've previously talked about, you know, transparency, communication, setting the appropriate goals, but you need to make sure that you have the right team behind you to keep things going successfully. So when we're starting an engagement with top tell projects, Mm -hmm. we can work with co-sourced teams, you know, fully distributed teams, everyone's remote, of course. But right now, you know, in the world that we live in, literally everybody is remote on, on the client side as well as our side. And for folks that haven't done the remote aspect on the client side, it's about helping them understand the tools that are most effective for, for getting the outputs needed, right? And making everybody comfortable with those tools. I'll give an example. My husband is in law enforcement and certainly that industry is not used to remote work mm. at all. <laughs> yeah, That's, that's up close and personal, yeah. Exactly. And they're, they're struggling right now and yeah. put sort of plans together that keeps everybody safe and both their the law enforcement agency and the public. For that, I saw them do their first video call and I was, obviously they're not a client, but trying to help them choose the tools that are right for their business, right? For Mm -hmm. what they're doing. So I think that's really the the biggest piece. It's it's understand what all the different options for tools are that are out there and understand your teams and your project and and know how you can leverage each of those tools and your teams to be successful. And that's going to change based on, you know, from project to project and client to client. You also staff many of these projects directly, right? I mean, you you look at the candidates from the TopTel network. And so tell us how you go about deciding obviously you're you're looking at the individual profile but you're also thinking like we're building a team here that could be together for a while so how do you go about that process in terms of evaluating both on the individual basis but also building the best possible functioning team given the context of any specific client right so so what we do is we start you know by speaking to the client and understanding all the nuances of the project that they're looking to build so let's say that they're looking to build a mobile application leveraging you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, but they need a very strong designer because it's a very complex, you know, product or, or flow that they're working on and they need to make sure it's easy to use. So what we would do is we would take those requirements to, you know, our internal teams and and write them up as sort of you know, the general job descriptions that we're looking for. 
And then we'll get some candidates back. When we talk to the different candidates, we're not only screening for technical competency and, and skill set matching what we're looking for. It's also about communication. It's about consulting skills. It's about, as we spoke about earlier, you know, willing to go outside the box and, and help make sure that the project is a success at, you know, whatever cost, essentially. So, you know, once we have, you know, the leads on the team, like a project manager, design lead, tech lead, we make sure that we set up, the next step is to, you know, set up meetings internally with, with those folks and make sure that they're working together well and they can blend well with personalities and, and all yeah. of that. And then we speak to the client, right? And see, you know, is there anything that we need to adjust here? Are there people that are just not quite the right fit in terms of location right. or communication style or ability to work on a team, you know, or any of that. So it's a couple of different layers with the top tall projects specifically, you know, we have sort of that white glove offering where we're doing the early filtering for our clients to make sure that we feel comfortable with every single talent team that is passed through, you know, for the success of the project. And how do you go about, I imagine when, when these clients come to you, they must have a few concerns in terms of just shifting to this model, what do those concerns tend to be and how do you go about alleviating them? In terms of the conversation, obviously you demonstrated as well, but but in terms of if, if I were coming to you right now saying, I'm ready to start on this, but I have these concerns, basically, what do those tend to be and how do you how do you respond to them? A lot of it comes around, you know, how am I making sure that I'm getting my money's worth mm. or how do I know that people are being productive or, you know, th- things like that, right? Everyone wants to make sure that what they're paying for, they're seeing as, as an end result and, and, you know, at the end of the day, a, a finished product, right? A polished product. What we do on the, on the top tail side to make sure that those risks are mitigated is that we're leveraging that transparency from week to week. So we'll do something where we, you know, kick off the project day one and we have, but as a team internally, we have daily standups every single morning following agile best practices to make sure that, you know, everybody's on the same page. We know what the, if there are any blockers. We know if there is any, you know, pivots to, to scope or anything that needs to change. And then at the end of every week, we're meeting with the client and saying, hey, here's what we worked on. You know, these were your highest priority features. This is the progress we've made on them. You're actually mm-hmm. seeing them in real life, um, you know, completed and ready for release. And then uh, week to week, if we need to pivot, we can. So yeah. every single week, they can evaluate their spend. They can see the output in real time, you know, what they're paying for and, and the work that's being done towards their product. So there's really no you know, level of uncertainty of where the money is going or, or what's being produced. I think a mm-hmm. lot of other companies may say, okay, well, here's all the specs that we are going to build for your product. And then you know, six months later, they come back with a product that may or may not be what you want because things may have changed in the interim, right? But here we have the flexibility at TopTal to pivot along the way and, and say, you know, that we thought we were going to do this, but we spoke to some users and actually it looks like they want to go with X instead of Y and, yep. and that's no problem. Let's, let's, you know, make that adjustment and start working towards Y. Yep, absolutely. Whenever I've started with a new client, I've always said, I, I want to show you what I'm building in terms of the financial or statistical model earlier than frankly, either of us might be comfortable with from my part, because obviously I want you to see something beautiful, but I'm deliberately showing it to you when it's very early because I, I want the operating assumption that I'm probably going to misinterpret something from you just, just because, exactly. you know, you, you know, in your mind what you want to build, you know, the problem you're solving, but the exact solution and the best means to get to that is going to be a learning process for all of us. So I think just mm-hmm. that early, those, those early communications and, and validations and, and pivoting where necessary 
because I imagine sometimes the client and, and some of the most brilliant entrepreneurs I've, I've ever known, they know the problem they want to solve, but they may be looking to you for help and, and from the team for help on what the exact form of the solution is going to be. Exactly. We bring the subject matter expertise on how to solve the problems, but the problems you know, come from the client that we're looking to solve, right? We can figure out how, but you know, I think the, the piece that we're looking for from the clients is, is the why, right? It's the what and the why. And then, and then we'll figure out how to do it. And what are your favorite tools when you go about this in terms of both project management and communication? So what, what platforms do you most recommend that people take a look at? Slack is great for quick communication. You know, it doesn't, not everything warrants a meeting, as I'm sure most people know. Um, anything that we can do to save time and keep, you know, the work efficient is, is benefit to the project overall. So Slack is great for just a quick communication. If there's a quick question that we need resolved, anybody on the team can go ahead and answer. And if we're in group chats, you know, everybody can see. And so things don't get duplicated. On the, you know, sort of video conferencing, I love video. I think it's really... Mm-hmm brings a human aspect to remote work. A lot of times you have a voice behind a screen or some sort of a device, but being able to see the people you're working with, it brings that personal team experience and and a little bit more, I think, of that overall team meshing and and blending and and working together towards the overall goal. So we use Zoom for that. I think I know there's a lot of great tools out there, but I think, you know, leveraging Zoom never done us wrong so far. Then on the PM side, we will really work with whatever the client is familiar with. If you know, we have certain things that we recommend, like we use Jira for a lot of our projects or Trello or different tools like that. But there's so many tools out there. I mean, you, you really can't go wrong. The goal is is collaboration, right? It's it's yeah. real time collaboration. Things like you know Google Sheets, Google Docs, all of the Google Drive stuff is amazingly helpful because you can see the, the changes in, in real time and make sure that you're working with the team and, and the client to, to make sure that all the, the requirements and specifications are as they need to be. Yeah, I agree on the importance of video. I think that it's such a false dichotomy, this idea that remote work means less human interaction. I think we all love human interaction. We just want it to happen on its own terms. We want it to be when there's a direct reason for it so that it's a meaningful conversation and not just a meeting in the in the more traditional sense of the word that might be more just to have a meeting basically rather than okay let's all connect and and discuss this and hopefully as technology progresses we'll all be meeting in some kind of virtual reality hologram universe or something and <laughs> we'll only get, we had, a, we had yeah. a project for that i'll tell Did you we? <laughs> we scoped one out so it's, yeah. it's coming soon yeah some yeah. kind of star wars imperial council type there you type go action yeah there. yeah yep. yeah, yeah. I'm your host, Eric Stedler. Thank you for listening to the Talent Economy Podcast. Learn more about the future of work and the transformation of the staffing industry from those leading the conversation at staffing.com, where you can hear from experts, sign up for our weekly newsletter, and get access to the best industry research on the future of staffing. If you've enjoyed the conversation, we'd appreciate you rating us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or just tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Talent Economy.